Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, we get a roundup of the current state of affairs in football from Matt Law, look to the future of the game with Chief Football Writer Sam Wallace, and hear about all the news from the continent with our old pal Mina Rizuki. Plus, Leighton Orient's hugely ambitious FIFA tournament and a WhatsApp voice note about Wembley that went viral in a good way. At this point, usually I'd say, let's take you now into the audio recording facility. Tragically, we are not in the audio recording facility. I am in my home in a less salubrious audio recording facility, but it does a job. We hope you will accept a slightly reduced level of uh, audio clarity compared to what we can normally give you here on AFC. But uh, these are the times we're in. We're trying to just uh, stay positive, stay uh, communicative and uh, bring you something that you can enjoy. Let's start off with Matt Law. Delighted to be joined over the internet by AFC star Matt Law. What's going on, Matt? Yeah, this is uh, this is strange. I'm uh, I'm sat on a bed talking to you. Never yes. thought I'd say that to you. Tom. No, no, it's like the big breakfast with Paulie Yates. <laughs> oh, yeah, excellent. Yeah. Nice modern Who's reference for our young listeners. <laughs> Who would be a good zig and zag from football? Well, that's, that's a good question for the end of the uh, end of the podcast. Yeah, I can't um, come up with that on the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of two uh, uh, fun-loving Irish players. Robbie Keane and Damien Duff. There you go. Um, let's talk about coronavirus, unfortunately. Matt, tell, tell me what is the current state of play with the domestic game? Well, the, the current state of play is we're now, um, as of last week, delayed up till April 30th. Uh, but nobody, upon nobody, thinks we're actually going to restart until then. That's just another date to take us up to and will be extended at some point. Um, there seems to be a clear will now that the season will be finished uh, in some format at some point. Um, but there's not very many sort of certains around that other than the fact it does feel like null and void is off the table, even if they can't complete every single fixture um, we wrote this week about the fact that there's a word going around now, curtailment. Um, that would seem to suggest that if they can't actually finish every single fixture, then they will take a view on on what they do from there. But the season would be curtailed and, and there would be uh, a title awarded to, to Liverpool. There would probably be other prizes awarded or, or possibly relegation happening. So... It feels like null and void is now now for sure off the table. But in terms of when we start again, all the dates you're reading, Sam Wallace wrote about there's a tentative thought that maybe we could start on June 1st. But these are just discussions behind the scenes about potential things that might happen and that they're a long way away yet. 
yeah, a lot of those dates seem very ambitious at the moment. I wonder, Matt, if there's a prospect that when we do get started again, what we'll have is enormously compromised teams, so swathers of players unavailable because they're all self-isolating. Yeah, I mean, it feels like that is a massive risk if they try and in any way get back too early. I mean, personally, I just, just from listening to the news, I, I can't fathom how June 1st is going to be at all possible, um, even behind closed doors. Because like you say, I mean, I think Portsmouth at the moment have got four four of their players have, have tested positive. I see their chief executives being saying that there'll be lots of clubs out there who's, whose players will have it and won't know because not every single player of every single club has been tested. Um, that's obviously impossible because the testing kits aren't out there to do. So, yeah, it feels like if they try and do it too soon, it could descend into farce in that all of a sudden we find players uh, players unavailable or suddenly a team's forced into quarantine. And that really would be the worst thing that could happen, I think, because it, 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 would, it would look irresponsible. Yeah, quite. We've also had the European Championships, of course, postponed by a year to summer 2021. Does that seem like the right decision to you? Yeah, for sure. That, that, that had to happen. Um, I mean, there'd have no, been no chance of playing out a season and there'd have been no chance... Of, of that tournament happening this year anyway. Um, it's good that that was done quickly and decisively, unlike the Olympics. Uh, no dragging their feet, no people trying to just see what happens. Um, get that one postponed and, and get on with the rest of trying to sort everything else out or just having to wait everything out. Um, that was... You, you don't usually say this about football governing bodies particularly, but that, that, that was really clear, good thinking on their part. Do you still think it will take place across the continent? It's an impossible question because you just don't know where we're going to be. Um, as long as it's safe to, then yes. Um, but I, I don't know whether it's going to be safe to or not, quite frankly. Um, you'd have thought a year gives it a good chance. They obviously want to, and it will obviously have a lot of financial repercussions for countries if it doesn't. So there's a will to, there's a necessity to. Um, but what none of us can answer is, is is where we're going to be with all this. You mentioned that you think UEFA did a good job with how they approached the Euros. How do you think football as a whole is dealing with this? Yeah, I'm I'm not that impressed, if I'm honest with you. Um, look, I saw an interview this weekend that, that Chris Wilder had, had given at Sheffield United, and I was staggered that Sheffield United were still letting non-essential staff into their training grounds. Um and they were having a, a practice match, I think, on the Thursday. Um, I mean, I, I felt really uncomfortable reading that because it, it just struck me that there's there's a club not taking it seriously enough. And I think there are a lot of examples of that at the moment. I mean, I I do have a lot of sympathy for football clubs. It must be very difficult to know what the best case approach is because, you know, you, you keep all you tell all the players to go home. Do they all necessarily stay at home? Do they all follow the advice? Or you try and get them to come in and police them, but then you're really going against government and public health guidelines. It's a very diff difficult situation, but I'm I'm not that impressed. It's not that coordinated. Clubs are being left to make up their own dates on it and their own plans. Personally, I think they should be told what to do. I don't know where the PFA have gone. Um, I might have missed it, but I've not heard anything from the PFA in terms of them advising what their member membership could do. 
there's not a lot of joined up thinking in terms of whether there should be pay cuts, temporary or, or whatever at, at various levels. It feels like a mishmash. Players, I would what I would say is there are a lot of players out there trying to do good things. You know, there's a nice story around today that Toby Alderweireld is buying a load of um, handheld tablets, as in uh, iPad or the equivalent, I should say, are out there rather than uh, medicine tablets. But that, that's that's for people in hospitals and staff in hospitals and things. And there's loads of instances of players doing really nice things, but there doesn't look like a lot of joined up thinking from football other than the more convening to try and work out when we might play again. Yeah, it does feel like a little bit of a leadership vacuum at the top at the moment. How are you feeling the whole, Matt? Are you watching old Villa videos? No, I, I wish. I wish. I've got a four-year-old and a six-year-old at home um, and I can't brainwash them to to believe that that's a good way to spend their... Come on. They need educating about Julian Joachim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd love to. Uh, no, unfortunately... Uh, yeah, I'm not getting to just sit around watching football. I'm playing a lot of football, though. Over the weekend, I played a lot of football with uh, with my little lad, so that was lovely. I oh, I, there are some pluses to be taken out of this. You know, not not having to look at the phone all the time and and uh, actually dedicating some time to them has been quite nice in a way. Although, as I say, today's the first day of homeschooling, so let's see how I feel about that at the end of today. Yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps we'll get uh, one of your one of your children on that and see if they feel the same way about it. <laughs> Up next, we've got Sam Wallace on the line on what football will look like in a post-COVID-19 world. Sam, tell me what's going to happen when we're back to normal with football, perhaps sometime in 2022. What's football going to look like? What will have changed? I've been thinking about this a bit, really. I've, I've been wondering if um, if our whole very serious attitude towards the, the triumphs and the uh, despair of the game will change now that we've been through this um, kind of, sort of uh, epoch in our national life. Um, I think if we look back to post-war in the 1940s, I and mean, football attendances soared. It became it became something that that people really wanted to watch, and footballers, you know, professional football, really kind of took shape in the post-war years. I think that I think that people will want football back. I think it will be a very uh, important normalising part of their lives but in terms of the actual mechanics of the game I and mean, I know this is we have to caveat everything by saying this is by no means the most important thing but the, the calendar will have changed forever the relationship I think between players and clubs will have changed because um, clearly the finances of clubs will will be um, altered beyond recognition in some cases and uh, so I think I think that whole relationship will change. Of course, some things some things will always be there. The the big stars will always push for the biggest money, and um, there will always be uh, th- there will always be that kind of competitiveness um, between clubs to to get the best players. But I think I don't think something as seismic as this can fail to change football. Um, it's just it's just trying to visualise what normal will look like in six months or 12 months time yeah difficult thing to get your head around at the moment talking about the finances Sam we tend to think of Premier League clubs especially as almost having infinite wealth but their money will run out quickly if this goes on much beyond this summer yes like any business cash flow is crucial and um, I think it's right to say that the second tranche of payments came in February uh, for, for this 
um, broadcast year, so we're in the first year of the new three-year cycle. Um, but but yeah, clearly everything everything works according to what you earn week by week and and the contractual obligations that you fulfil and and very few of them, if any, are being fulfilled at the moment. So every club lives according to its means, whether that's a Stevenage or a Manchester United. They have a wage bill and they have to try and meet those obligations. They have all sorts of you know uh, payments due and, and payments that will come in. So I think the I think Premier League clubs probably do have do have the potential not to live quite so hand to mouth as others, but but let's uh, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, match day revenue still remains extremely important, even to the biggest clubs. I mean, they they make millions per game in terms of ticket sales and food and drink and merchandising and so on. It this this there is no there, there is no kind of um, money tree at any of these clubs. They have to they have to do what their core business is, and at the moment they're being denied the chance to do that. Saying all that, though, Sam, is there an onus on the Premier League teams to be helping out Stevenages and and other teams lower down the pyramid? I think there is definitely a um, uh, a moral obligation that that everyone survives and that and that everything can be done. But I think I think there is a problem here, and and we've seen it. I think it's become ingrained in our psyche that that Premier League clubs are. Are so rich they can do anything. I mean, even even in even in normal times, we're asking them to fix lots and lots of problems within their own communities. And to an extent, they, you know, they, they do have a responsibility given given the significance they have in so many people's lives. But the, the the point is that no one's playing football at the moment. Whether you're a national league club or a Premier League club, no one is playing football. And if no one is playing football, if you're not doing, you know, your core. Um, if you're, you're not conducting the core business of your organisation, then then the, the money is the, the money is that they're not the clubs that we, that we read about with sort of 500 million pound turnovers. They're simply not. So there is always going to be a limit to what they can do. Um, I guess there's there's obvious places they can make they can make economies, but whether whether they'll be allowed to is is, is another question. Yeah, presumably quite a difficult thing to commit to now as well with everything so uncertain and up in the air. You don't want to be pledging tons of money, not knowing when yeah. you're going to get to play a game again. Um, there has been some talk about uh, the EFL and how that changes uh, w- when things start up again. Talk of salary caps, which I think we reported on last week. I mean, that doesn't sound like a terrible idea, virus or no, really. Um, it's it, Look, I mean, clearly the, the, the biggest expense of any football club that's got any kind of sort of ambition at all is, is going to be its, its, um, its wage bill. And on top of that, evidently when we're all being asked to tighten our belts, it's, it's hard to argue. It's, it's hard to argue when you look at some of the salaries that these players earn, but they are, I mean, these are fixed term contracts. They are very, I mean, as someone described to me last week, they're kind they're cast iron. I mean, just as an example, in Germany, um, for example, for instance, it, it's six months in a standard contract in that country. If you're out for six months injured, then your pay automatically takes a cut. That that window in in a Premier League contract is 18 months. So 
that everything in the point that the person was telling me about this was making was that everything is in favour of the player. And I think I think there is an assumption that clubs can simply default on these contracts. Well, they, that, that's actually a very very difficult thing to do. There would have to be there would have to be some agreement. Then they're, they're not. I mean, clearly they could get to the point where they can't afford them, in which case that I suppose they have that sort of leverage with the player in that they don't want to kind of go into this spiral where clubs are being wiped out by their own wage bills. But it's going to take a lot of consensus and a lot of agreement. It's not something clubs can't just decide not to pay these wage bills. So yes, there is there 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 are ways in which one assumes you can you you can uh, alleviate some of this pressure. And let's be honest, Hearts Heart Midlothian, for example, have already done that, haven't they? They've they've offered fifty percent pay cuts or contractual release. Um, for others, it, it's that's it's going to be difficult. Uh, to see if this goes on for a long time, whether whether clubs you know consider those sort of options. I don't think it's reached that stage yet, but you know the feeling is very much that nothing nothing is off the table. You've spoken to a couple of footballers in the last seven days or so. Sam Charlie Austin told you about uh, the symptoms he'd had of the virus. Uh, Josh Sims as well stranded out in America. How are players dealing with this? I think they're finding. I mean, I, yeah, I've spoken to those two. I mean, Charlie. Uh, Charlie was uh, diagnosed by the team doctor, who said that all his symptoms were um, uh, were consistent with coronavirus. He hasn't. He, he wasn't tested for it because he he was actually at home in Winchester, which is where the family home is. So it's quite a long way from the West Brom training ground. Um, but he, um, yeah, I mean, he was shocked. You know, he was. He's a fit healthy professional footballer and and he was he was shocked that it it hit him so hard i um he it really i think his his attitude towards it had been before you know i know this is serious but but it it had really um taken the wind out of him in in, in, in josh's case he was he was waiting to be told uh, he may well actually have come back by now i'm not sure that the mls was suspending for longer in which case he would return home um but i think the, the, what both found was just the routine of their lives. I mean, footballers are creatures of habit. They train, they play, they train, they play. And and Josh, for example, was in a situation where he was he, he didn't he didn't even have a bag of balls in his apartment. So he was he was basically running on a on a recreation ground near his home in New Jersey, and and wasn't in contact with with anyone. And he he he'd been on Facetime to Maya Yoshida, who who's in Genoa. Um, who's on loan at Sampdoria and he's he is he had literally not left his apartment in about a week I mean because that is that's the situation in Italy and and was and and was really hoping to get some exercise equipment you know so he could sort of didn't have to just do star jumps on the balcony I mean it was (laughs) it's really it's really got to that for these and these are guys who are used to having manicured pitches and the best facilities so it's really I think it's it's very very unusual for them and they they yeah, they've lived their lives like this ever since they were kids in the academy. Yeah, unusual for all of us, Sam. You must be missing going to games as well. Yeah, it's it's strange. I mean, it's it's just um, you know the whole notion of reporting and reportage is that you are there, that you are a witness to events, that that you when you interview someone, you you are present in the same room as them, and none of that is possible at the moment. And it's of course football reporting is way down the list, but um, but I think it's 
yes, it's being it's having that freedom to go to places and to do things and that, that's been taken away from all of us. Hopefully not for too long. Thanks for joining us, Sam. Joining us now is our old friend Nina Razuki. How are you keeping, Nina? Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> as, good. As, uh, as good as I can expect. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Tell us about what's going on in Europe. Uh, Maldini, Dybala, Fellaini, among the big names who've tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, the message must be getting through now across the world that everyone is at risk here. Yeah, I, I feel like it's a little strange that we had to wait for this to happen at the time for football to um, sort of take a pause and realise what's going on. And you found even with sort of the Turkish League, how long it's taken them to suspend games, um, the Russian League, it, it's madness that football was going on as if players were just totally immune to this. But yes, of course, it's Maldini and his son, uh, the first cases that we had from the from Milan Football Club. Uh, Dybala, it's a strange case with Dybala because at Juventus it was Daniele Rugani and Blaise Matuidi. And Dybala had come out several times to contradict um, newspaper articles that said that he had it. And he was like, I don't, like, stop spreading these false rumours. And then he just came out a few days ago being like, okay, so now I've done the test and I do have it. So maybe they knew something he didn't know. Um, but it's him and his girlfriend. So hopefully everyone will recover well. And uh, as for Fellaini, it's an interesting one because he's reportedly the only Chinese Super League player to have contracted the virus. So he returned to the country because he wanted to resume training. And, um, and now he's in isolation in a hospital. So it's quite a sad one there. Yeah, quite. Uh, what about in Italy? I mean, uh, uh, Syria Air Club seem to have been very active in supporting the health system there. Uh, there's, there seems to be a bit of a sense of unity in Italy. I think there has to, because when you look at the situation, it, it, it's nothing short of a nightmare at the moment. Um, the death toll is just under 5,500 people, about 46,000 or more have now tested positive for the disease, uh, for, the, for the virus rather. Um and you used to see things like, for example, Bergamo, which is the town uh, in Lombardy region, which is also home to Atalanta Football Club, who have given us the greatest footballing stories. And they've been so hard hit that their crematorium doesn't even have enough space to, to or, or time to go through all the deaths. And so you've got these military, uh, a convoy of military vehicles transporting coffins out and going elsewhere to get certain members of society cremated who have passed away. It is such a horrific sight. And so you've got families like Berlusconi who's come in, um, obviously others trying to, to contribute money as much as possible um, because the situation right now, you can't possibly think of football when Italy has been hit the way that it has indeed been hit. And you've got players who like... Um, Manolo Gabbiadini had come out from Sampdoria, obviously you know him because he came to the Premier League, and he just said that he struggles to sleep at night because he had such mild symptoms that what if he didn't have the test? What about if he had infected somebody who was older and more vulnerable? And so he's come out and tried to talk about it and was like, please stay at home. And it's so tragic right now there that you can't really discuss anything else. But yes, it, thank God that they do have a lot of people who are contributing. Um, obviously, Berlusconi, 10 million, Agnelli family between them, 10 million. Um, you've got others sort of running, um, uh, raising money. Uh, first team players at Staff and Inter have raised half, ha half a million. Um, you've got uh, the 
Morati family that owns Saras, the oil company, um, they've donated a million. And you sort of have to because over there, it's not like we can rely on the economic power that we have, for example, in the UK. Italy is a strong country, but in times like this, you need the community to band together. And it's very authentically Italian to do that, as well as at the same time trying to provide the community with... Uh, with a little light relief. You've got Insigne from Napoli cooking pizza on social media, trying to keep his followers entertained. You've got people singing in balconies. It's um, it's nice to see that they're still capable of doing something like that, despite what they're going through. Yes, quite. Over in Spain, uh, there's been a high-profile victim of the virus, the former Real Madrid president, Lorenzo Sanz, who uh, unfortunately died from corona over the weekend. What's been the reaction to that in Spain? Yeah, that is. Um, it, it is indeed the first uh, first man to do that. I, it's also quite an in, quite a different case in the sense that he also contracted a kidney infection, and um, obviously, when you combine a disease like COVID nineteen with other underlying health issues, that was going to happen. Um, he was a seventy six year old gregarious man, really famous, obviously, for being president from ninety five to two thousand and winning two. Champions League trophies um, and he was the kind of guy who used to say you know like I, I frame all these pictures and I put them up in my bathroom as a reminder of all that I achieved his life revolves around Real Madrid so you've got a lot of, of people mourning him because he was one of those characters that just so big and so in love with life um, and so there's obviously been an, an outpouring of emotions, especially from people in Madrid, and they can't do anything about it. They can't really, like, at this moment in time, warn him the way that they want to as a club, as a, as a city, as, as a number of fans, um, for the simple sake that obviously they're all under quarantine at the moment. Uh, but yeah, it, his family are particularly sad at the fact that this was what has claimed his life. They felt like he deserved a better ending than this. And then that's the question right now. How many people do deserve a better ending than this? This is the new reality at the moment. And Spain is fighting the same fight that Italy is going through, um, albeit a little bit uh, behind in times. And But he was a, a, an interesting man and obviously a winning president at the time and uh, lost the elections, but always remembered as somebody who put Real Madrid above everything, except his family. What else is going on across uh, Europe uh, at the moment, Mina? What are some of the notable stories from other leagues? I wish I could tell you more stuff that's a little bit sort of uplifting, but I thought that obviously Lewandowski is a great story. He pledged a million to fight Corona. Um, his uh, teammate Leon Goretzka and jo uh, Joshua Kimmich have set up a fund called We Kick Corona, um, if, if anyone does want to donate, and it helps fight the current pandemic. And uh, between them, they've contributed a million and altogether, I think 2.5 million has been raised um, in a bid to do that, uh, to, to fight the fight. Otherwise, the uh, Swiss Super League um, saw some interesting things happening, uh, which is FC Sion have sacked nine players who reportedly refused to sign an agreement for a wage cut. They are eighth in the league. There's 10 overalls. So that kind of paints a picture of, of how they're doing the season. Um, but it's nine players who refuse to sign an agreement. Some of them you'll recognize the names, Seydou Dumbia, Alex Song. Um, the, the, the matches were stopped on the 1st of March in Switzerland, and their president, who's famous for having employed 
approximately 40 coaches since he came to power in 2003 is Christian Constantine. And apparently he sent messages on WhatsApp. I haven't verified whether it's WhatsApp or not, but he sent them to the nine uh, players and said, right, you need to take... um, you need to take a wage cut and uh, it be labeled technical employment, unemployment. And under the deal, they would have been paid 9,600 Swiss francs, which is 8,300 um, pounds, 80% of Switzerland's legal monthly salary. And some of them didn't respond to him. So he's just gone ahead and sacked them. It's also worth noting that seven of those players are uh, due to, for their contract to end at the end of June. So, um Yeah. Meanwhile, Italy's talking about maybe coming back after June, July, because they don't see this stopping anytime now. And so others are saying, we can't even believe that you think there's going to be football this summer. It's it's really interesting to see what's going to happen at this point, because we don't know how far this can go. No one's gone so far as just to call it off yet, have they? And there's not been a league to say we are accepting that we're not going to get this season finished. No, I mean, Italy are going to have um, a summit tomorrow to discuss whether or not that, you know, like initially they wanted to come back on May 3rd or May 9th and basically start the season again. Now they're talking about maybe June coming back and playing till the end of July. So they're talking about all the contracts that end of the in, end in uh, obviously June 30th. And, and no one has yet given that up. But there are some presidents who are like, I can't. One of them being the Brescia president, who's like, I can't believe you can even think of football coming back. Look what's happening. We're fighting the plague. Um, But then you've got others like Lotito from Lazio, who's like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I want to get my players back into training. We have a league to win. So I guess maybe, I don't know. I I don't know. But there's some who are very optimistic and others who are in the north of Italy who are seeing what they're seeing and being like, how is it even possible we can do this right now? Yeah, let's just have through the worst of it in Italy, uh, at least. Thanks for joining us, Mina. Thank you. Go beyond the headlines with The Telegraph's daily coronavirus podcast, a roundup of the latest news on the pandemic from our leading journalists, with analysis on the impact on health, business and travel every weekday evening. Search Coronavirus the latest on your podcast app. There is still some football, sort of, to be enjoyed. So next, I'll be speaking to Leighton Orient media manager Luke Lambourne about how they're helping to fill the void. In lieu of any real football, there have been several innovative ideas for things we can watch instead. One of them is the ultimate quarantine, a mass game of FIFA 20 on video games consoles. It's been organised by Luke Lambourne. How did this idea go from uh, a vague thing to uh, the, the success it's been so far, Luke? It was a bit of a um, bit of a strange one the way it unfolded. I, I guess we started um, on on the Saturday, so we had we're supposed to play Bradford away that day, um, and obviously our, all the games were postponed in the EFL. So myself and Dan Walker, media assistant, we were trying to get together for some creative ideas, and we started on the Saturday by by running like a football manager, kind of that we let the fans decide how it all went. So we essentially put them in the hot seat for the day. And just kind of made that as interactive as possible. They they chose the starting eleven. They chose the formation. Um, they chose all the team talks and and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that, despite them losing one nil, it went it went down really well. Um, and it also gave us a chance to give a bit of stick back to them and and say, well, you know, you don't know it all yourself. So um, so we saw that that went down really well, and the supporters were really interested in in you know kind of innovative ways to engage. So. So we had that in mind and then we saw the whole kind of Connect Four thing that, that kind of went down that Saturday night. So um, obviously teams from across Europe and some weird kind of mismatches have, 
Um, I think Hull City played maybe Feyenoord or, or maybe I got that one wrong. But yeah, there was some Connect Four games that were happening. So, so we obviously saw that you know teams were also looking to engage with each other as well in, in a time where no one really knew what, what was going on. So um, with all that kind of stuff in mind, we thought, okay, well, what's one way we can take it a bit bigger? And, and yeah, for us, FIFA was the one to to kind of drive that forward. And we, we knew it's popular, so um, we, we knew we had a chance of it taking off. And how many teams are involved now? It's 128. Um, I think, yeah, and that's been a lot of admin, let me tell you. Um, (laughs) But I think to begin with, um, I think we might have actually started with about 127. Um, So I think one team, I think Amiens in France got got a buy. But um, but yeah, overall, it's been a mad concoction of teams. We've had um, Orlando Pirates from from out in Africa. Um, We've had a few Australian teams. Um, there's been a big Dutch contingent, a few French teams, including our um, French nemesis La Orient, who <laughs> unfortunately we're, we're not, we didn't draw this time around. We're already out of the competition, so we played Lokomotiv Moscow, um, and our goalkeeper Sam Sargent put up a fight against. They, I think they had like a, a pro player, but we lost three six in the in the uh, tournament opener. But we had about thirteen thousand people on the stream, which is incredible, really, um, when you think about it, it's just a small idea that. That kind of snowballed. So yeah, we've had teams from all over um, getting involved, and it's, yeah, it's been it's been great so far. Yeah, that'll pack out Brisbane Road, wouldn't it? What? Uh, so <laughs> okay, we're getting a bit confused here because you have got your goalkeeper Sam Sargent. Was he taking control of the entire team, or were you talking about your digital goalkeeper Sam? No, Sargent? no, no. So I mean, he did start himself, but yeah, he was um, <laughs> he was our representative. So we we said essentially when it started that clubs could choose any representative they wanted to represent them. Um, so some clubs gone down the, the player route. So tonight it's Crystal Palace away at Reading and Andros Townsend's up against one of the Reading first team players. So that'll be a, um, a bit of a bigger game. I think uh, Todd Cantwell's leading the line for Norwich. Uh, but then some clubs have gone down the supporters route. Others have kind of pulled out the big guns and whacked out the re-sports players to try and get a bit of silverware because it could be the last opportunity to, to ever do that. So, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a mix in terms of who's been in. And we had a bit of a upset last night, actually, which is uh, good to see because MK Dons um, went up against uh, Heracles, I think they're called, in in the Dutch league. And they Heracles had like the... Um, the Dutch reigning esports champion playing, and uh, he went two 0 down within twenty minutes, and then mysteriously his power disconnected. So, oh and my be- goodness, he yeah, rage quit. Yeah, and MK Dons just had a, a kind of every man in, in in playing for them. So, so yeah, the MK Dons have been awarded the first proper upset of the tournament. So that was oh. great to see. Congratulations to them. How how do people find this if they want to watch it, Luke? Keeping in mind that uh, some of us are very old and don't really understand how video <laughs> games work anymore. So the best thing to do is if um, you can come to our Twitter to to begin with, and you can find all the kind of information that's what the clubs are involved and whatnot. And then from there, if you want to watch your own teams or you have a certain soft spot for another team, then you can go to their kind of social media channels, and and some of them will be streaming it via a platform called Twitch. Others are going through YouTube and, and other ways like that. Some just straight through Twitter. So it's a, it's a mix in terms of what people are doing. But um, yeah, you can you can get involved with it and, and watch. Who's your tip to win it all? Um, it's a tough one. Sheffield Wednesday had come out early favourites, and I think they had a, again another ringer that's, that seems to be pretty good. I think I think it's Ang- Angers. I think again a team from Europe. They they won ten 0 last night against Waterford. So straight away there the people. <laughs> People are paying attention to them, but yeah. Uh, and there's a charitable element to this as well, Luke. People can give some money through Just Giving, is that right? Yep, so we set up a, um, a fundraiser, um, which is split between three causes. So 75% of it will go to the EFL, essentially just to help struggling clubs at a time when match day incomes 
pretty much all but disappeared. And, and there are a lot of clubs that will struggle immensely during this period. So first of all, that's where 75% of it will be going. Um, and then 25% of it will go as a split between Mind Mental Health Charity and the World Health Organization and their COVID-19 response. Um, so it's been brilliant so far. I think we've raised about £55,000. So it's been um, it's been fun. And yeah, obviously with a, with a good thing at the heart of it, it's, it's, um, it's helped push it on. Go on and just give us the uh, Leighton Orient Twitter uh, handle so we can all go there immediately, Luke. It's uh, at Leighton Orient FC, um, which is yeah where you can kind of see it all unfolding. Brilliant. Thanks, Luke. Finally, a WhatsApp voice note about a potential use for a currently very empty Wembley Stadium did the rounds last week. We spoke to its creator. But first, if you haven't heard it already, here it is. Also, just so you know, um, my sister, her boyfriend's... Um, brother works for the Ministry of Defence and one of the things that they're doing to prepare, and this won't affect London, this will be everywhere, they're basically worried that people are going to get stuck indoors without any food. So one of the things that they're doing is they're actually working on making a massive lasagna. Um, So they're actually, at the moment as we speak, they're building like the massive lasagna sheets um, and they're just going to start making the layers um, today. Uh, and then hopefully, like obviously, put the put the bolognese on, and then put the sheets on top. But they're having to make the special sheets, obviously, because they've not got one big enough. Because they're making lasagna the size of Wembley Stadium. So how they're doing it is they're actually putting the the underground heating at Wembley. That's gonna like bake the lasagna, and then they're gonna put the roof across. So it's like a recreate an oven. Um, and then what they're gonna do is they're gonna like carry that. Um, they've got loads of drones, and they're gonna like lift it up with the drones, and they're gonna like like cut off little portions and like drop them into people's houses um just so they make sure everyone's eating still and no one dies which is obviously quite sensible but yeah i think i'm looking forward to that because i do quite like lasagna as well so billy it was a silly message but you were making a heroic point i think that misinformation can spread so easily at a time like this yeah, I mean, that's the kind of irony of it. It was just sent to a, a couple of mates and I thought it might get circulated around um, a couple of groups that, that I know and that are, are mutual friends. Um, so to have seen it kind of explode in the in the way it did or to, to reach as many people as it did was as surprising for me. Um, but it certainly was, it, I think it highlights how kind of anyone from anywhere can record something on their phone and, and have kind of that kind of reach is kind of scary yeah something you said uh earlier this week uh, or last week in fact i was very interested in which was that you sent it to uh, a girl you're trying to date how did that go down <laughs> um yeah her response was probably it was, she was kind of just like oh okay yeah that, that was funny and like it's probably like the, the worst response i've had um but it's interesting with people not just girls but some girls that I have previously had interactions with um, that they kind of have come back around and been like, oh, yeah, I always knew you'd go viral or like, I knew that that was you. Like, <laughs> it's like, no, you, like I've seen messages that I've, I've, I've texted you like four times in the last four weeks and you've not responded. And now you're like, oh, you're so funny. So, yeah, it, um, it's funny how it's funny how I think with something like that people kind of want to attach themselves to it like with anything um and i think that's kind of what helps it spread because people want to be that person to have sent it to their mates and to be the kind of person with the inside scoop um 
so yeah, it's in- <laughs> it was cert- it's certainly been interesting. It's just it's just so good to hear a good news story, uh, Billy, coming out of all this. I'm I'm glad that you're back in contact with some uh, potential partners. <laughs> I'm relating some flames. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good work. Um, good work. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting what you just said there. Actually, about um, like good news story. It was uh, an impact that I didn't think it would have, um, which I was really pleased about. Is that some people just kind of saying? Uh, I spoke to one guy actually, somebody, um, a journalist I spoke to, uh, and he had said that he sent it to his mum, who um, it was kind of like in remission for for cancer. And uh, it made her smile and, and he said it made her day. And to have that kind of to hear that you've had that kind of impact on someone just by saying something a little bit silly was it was was really nice, actually. Great stuff, Billy. Go for a sequel this week. That's all for this week. We'll be back with you next week in some form. We haven't quite figured it out yet, but stay tuned. We'll probably put something out midweek this week and let you know what we're going to be doing and seek your involvement and approval. We always want your approval. You can contact me if you'd like to before then on Twitter. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Send us an email too if you like, afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. Where are you listening to us? What's your house like? Are you having a good time? We hope so. We'll read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 